You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When I first started, I got a lot of criticism from Wall Street bros on Twitter. They were saying, who is this girl? She's 18 years old at the time. Who does she think that she can talk about investments online? Like, this is not normal. She should just be, you know, getting her MRS, which is her missus, and getting married off. And I'm like, you know, I don't think so. I'm going to continue pursuing this. Exciting changes could be in your future, but what does that mean for your wealth? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor today. Get the expertise you need to help you dream more, demand more, and do more. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. On this show, our goal is always to give financial advice that works with no judgment, and no strings attached. But here is the thing, there is no such thing as one size fits all financial advice. People from different backgrounds have different relationships with money. There are vast generational divides. What somebody who is looking at retirement needs to do with their money is completely different from what somebody who is fairly new to the working world should do with theirs. And on today's show, we're going to focus on that last group. We're going to focus on Gen Z. Gen Z, which is the term, the cohort of people born between 1997 and 2012, is already shaking up the workplace and the economy. They are more comfortable talking about salary with their friends and their coworkers. 82% say they want mental health days at work. More than 40% say they quit their jobs because of burnout or inadequate pay. In other words, it's pretty safe to say that Gen Zers are, well, they're confident in themselves and they are unafraid to stand up for their values. But they are also facing some unprecedented economic challenges. In just the past few years, they have dealt with a pandemic, sky-high inflation, rising rent and mortgage rates, all while trying to get through school or launch their careers. So it's no wonder that Gen Zers believe more than any other generation that they won't be able to retire and they won't be able to own a home. But I want to be clear that not Everything is gloom and doom. There are resources out there to help you achieve the sort of financial life that you are looking for so that you can work toward those goals, toward buying that home, toward eventually retiring. And you don't have to do it all by yourself. Her Money is here to help, as is my guest today, Taylor Price. Taylor is a proud member of Gen Z who navigated all of the challenges that I just mentioned. And she realized that young people were not being taught enough about money in school or at home. So she started making videos about personal finance and posting them on TikTok and YouTube under the name Priceless Tay. Long story short, she now has more than a million 
followers, most of them Gen Z, all of whom are learning to budget, pay off debt, and invest through her videos. Taylor, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jean. Super excited. Thank you so much for being here. So you had a little bit of an untraditional path to being a personal finance expert, a personal finance influencer. I read that you started college thinking that you might be pre-med. What happened? Yes. So that is right. I have a spinal fusion. And for those of you listening right now, that's basically I two rods attached to my spine because of this thing called scoliosis, which is you think about if you ever watched the movie Hunchback of Notre Dame, that was me at one point in my life. I had lung failure, heart failure as a result of my spine twisting in abnormal ways. And so when I was 14 in 2014, I ended up getting this spinal fusion. And at that time, because I had went through this procedure, I was like, I want to help other people who went through this same situation as me conquer this battle because it was a pretty traumatic battle that I had gone through and I had an intrinsic motivation to help people. So eventually I worked my way through high school, go to college, start pre-med, only to find out that my own medical history and journey was going to put this huge bump in the road of can I actually come to reality and pursue this 14-year endeavor going to medical school and then doing 8 to 12-hour surgeries on patients when I myself have, I have lupus, I've gone through the spinal fusion and still have some pain today. So after coming to terms and reflecting, I asked my mom, I don't think this is for me. My spine is already hurting. I don't know where my scoliosis will be, you know, 14 years after I'm done schooling, only to start my career then. What should I do with my life? She, in the 1980s, had graduated as a finance major from Baruch College. And she said, why don't you try out finance? And so I was like, okay, let's drop everything and move on. And that was a little bit of a challenge for me because prior to going into finance, I spent a majority of my summers doing internships across the United States under a neurologist, going to different medical camps because that was a path that I thought that I was going to do. And so when I made this quick right turn into finance, I had no background or understanding on anything finance, both personal finance and corporate finance. So I ended up majoring in college with corporate finance, only to realize that I had no idea what was going on. I asked my guidance counselors, you know, we're not talking about budgeting here. We're talking about like financial statements, income statements, statements of cash flow, balance sheets, looking at billions of dollars rather than the few cents really that I had in my bank account at that time that I wasn't sure how to grow or build wealth or even pay taxes. And so I asked my guidance counselor, did I miss a few gen eds here? They said, nope, you're totally in the right place. Keep doing what you're doing. It's a rocky start, but trust us, you're going to do well. And I'm like, you know, like I, I'm like 18 at the time. Should I get a credit card? Should I like start investing? 
And come to do the research back then in, in 2017, 2018 era, only six out of 50 states in the United States required a personal finance course for testing in high school. And the small town that I grew up in, Saugerties, New York, did not require financial education classes. And so I felt an extreme disservice, not only to the state of New York, but really my, my colleagues and peers and cousins and family members across the United States. Why, why aren't we teaching this lifestyle? I mean, taxes aren't going away anytime soon. At least you could do us that service of teaching us how to pay those things, right? And so that's kind of when this thought appeared in my head. Well, if I don't know about it, and it's, you know, the majority of the United States doesn't know about it, it needs to be talked about. And traditionally, as a society, like globally, we're taught not to talk about money, religion and politics at the dinner table. And even then, at that time, it really wasn't talked about. And so I decided to start a blog that discussed I'm a finance major, and I still don't know anything about my own personal finances. I'm not sure how you can trust if I graduate a 22-year-old looking at billion-dollar financial statements when my whatever salary, I don't know how to work that or budget that or how to grow that wealth. And so that message really started to grow on this blog. But as you said, targeting Gen Zers, I'm a Gen Z, I'm 22 years old. We love video content. And so writing a blog was good, but you know what was going to be great? Video content. Video content is where it's at. Yeah, it's such an amazing story. I'm smiling at you as you're telling it because, so first of all, I saw so much of my son, who's now 28 years old, in your story. He too had a health crisis as a child and had amazing medical care and went to college thinking, I am going to be a pediatric cardiologist. I am wow. going to give back the way that these doctors gave back to me. And then he took chemistry. And that was the end of that. You know, it just, it wasn't for him. And he's very happy working in sports these days. But I do really understand when you've received such amazing care as a child, the feeling like, I, of course, I have to do that for somebody else because it provided me with this quality of life that I have. The other thing that I wanted to say to you, though, is that you are giving back that the education that you are providing at this mass level for people who really need it is incredible. And I hope that you feel good about that. Oh, totally. You know, retrospectively, everything happens for a reason. And I couldn't be more grateful and blessed to be in the position that I'm in now. Like I said, I have a intrinsic motivation to help people. And boy, did I not realize how much of an impact you can have online. It's not just a one-to-one -one relationship. It can be a one-to-many relationship. And for those who traditionally didn't have access to financial education, now you can go and speak to somebody relatable who's maybe in your similar demographic or age and have a conversation with them when you couldn't before. And so, like you said, it's been a very impactful journey and I'm, I'm so blessed to be where I'm at right now. You have 
a very nice way of making personal finance, which look, I've been doing this for a long time. I know it has a reputation for being boring. You have a very nice way of making it fun. You don't make it intimidating. You present it in plain English, but you make it fun. What's the magic? Where's the fun come from? I mean, I always grew up playing video games when I was younger. I was a video game connoisseur. So fun has definitely been in my nature and come to realize that, again, when speaking to younger people, you're not going to grab their attention if it's not fun. And so how do you create something that's educational as well as entertaining and mix the two into this thing that I call edutainment? And so thinking about different arenas, like for example, if we're talking about an ETF, okay, that's kind of explained as a basket full of stocks. But if I was speaking to somebody who really loves makeup, why can't we talk about, we got a makeup bag here, we got our lipstick as one potential stock and our mascara as another, and we like doing our whole face. And so this way we all come together with this beautiful thing that is a quote ETF. Very, very creative. You're Gen Z. Your audience is also Gen Z. What do you think the big challenges facing Gen Z are? What sets Gen Zers? It's a lot harder to say Gen Z than you think it might be, especially when you try to put the ers on it. What do you think sets your generation apart? And what are you finding that people are having to deal with that other generations just didn't? Well, I I do think that there's a bunch of economic cycles that previous generations have seen. For example, extremely high inflation. My parents had to deal with that. We're now having to deal with that. And so that's especially too that just the cost of groceries can be quite difficult when it comes to Gen Zers just having a a lower cost of living. It, It almost becomes impossible to try and just live the bare minimum lifestyle in which where we're at today because of the pandemic and because of the recessions and layoffs. And like you said, in the beginning of the show, the hard time getting a job, especially when we're just graduating college and we have these student loans that we have to pay off. So I do think that there will be a lot of challenges there. But I also think that there's challenges when it comes to just plain finance, like cryptocurrency and NFTs weren't really a thing a decade ago. And now the rate of technology and what we do have access to is like a hockey stick. So things are changing all the time. Like our, the Roth IRA, when I first started contributing to a Roth IRA, the contribution rate was, I think, $5,500 per year. Now I believe it's 6500 per year. And I do this stuff every day. And so can only imagine if somebody who's taking a look at this once a month or once every few months, how they must feel when things are changing so very quickly. And I don't think that's just a Gen Z thing. I, I think that's a societal thing. I remember about 15 years into my career reporting on money and giving financial advice, I was out for a run and it occurred to me that although there were all of these things, all of these complicated things and all of these new innovations changing 
the landscape every single year. There were really only five things that you needed to do if you wanted to have a successful financial life. And these five things have been a touchstone for me ever since. You got to earn some money. You got to spend less than you make. You got to invest what you're not spending so that it can grow. You got to protect yourself with some insurance and an estate plan. And you got to figure out some way to give back because that actually makes people happy. What are your five things? What are the most important things that Gen Zers need to know in order to get on their financial footing? I believe you said it perfectly. And that spans across time. That's not just today. That can be in the next upcoming months. That can be in the future. The really starting off with the basics of spending less than you make and saving more. Now, what I mean by saving more isn't just putting it in a high yield savings account and, and not touching it. Because again, Gen Zers were trying to beat off inflation. How can we make our money grow and work for us or this concept of what I call the money tree, which is you have your roots of this money tree in your savings accounts, your emergency fund, maybe some insurances, because when a storm comes by, those will hold you to the ground. Then you have your trunk as your primary source of income that can get wider as your income starts to grow then you start growing up to the top of the tree where you have these branches. These branches can create the money leaves, the things that can become passive, grow overnight. And that can be investing in the stock market. That can be investing in your side hustle and trying to make it into a full-time business. But these things are a lot more riskier than that of the bottom, the roots, the savings accounts, the emergency funds. But when you get more risk, obviously, there's more rewards that can come in return. And so for me, it's always thinking about this concept of the money tree and where am I at in my finances right now that I can continuously have a secure money tree that when a storm comes by, I know that my roots are still going to be there and I'll be able to recover from this. And it also provides a peace of mind. But also the fact that my tree can grow and can create more money leaves and thinking about those factors as well. You and I both just sort of let the words spend less than you make roll off our tongues very quickly. And what I know is that it's really hard. And it's particularly hard for a generation that is online all the time dealing with a lot of FOMO. So we're going to take a very quick break. But when we come back, I want to dig into FOMO. And I want to understand how you prioritize the things that are really important. Before we do that, let me just remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. And whether you're up with the sun or burning the midnight oil, we know how hard that you work to excel in your career. It takes grit and determination, and it took a lot of skill to get where you are today. But what if things change? Maybe you want to open a business or go for a big promotion or move across the country for your dream job. How does that affect your wealth? Visit planEFE.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor today. With an integrated approach to wealth management, you'll get the expertise you need to help build momentum with your finances and your career. I'm talking with Taylor Price, aka Priceless Tay, Gen Z financial 
activist. So Taylor, FOMO, what do we do about it? This is a great question because even I today still struggle with FOMO sometimes, especially in the realm of social media being on it so often. For me, the way in which I combat FOMO when it comes for a financial sense is actually separating my financial accounts into play money and necessity money. So what do I mean by this? I have my income going into one bucket, will then go into several other buckets. My needs, things like rent, groceries, car insurance, utilities, things like that, like necessities. You can even think of medical prescriptions or something along the lines there too. Wants are those experiences that we're seeing online that could be, hey, let's go to a trip to Cabo or <laughs> let's get that designer bag and save up for it. Now, it's really important that you also identify short-term wants versus long-term wants. Because from what I see, especially with my generation, we want the instant gratification. Oh, I see this Chanel bag, although it's a good investment, I want it right now. Instead of thinking about how can I eventually save for a house or how can I save for marriage because weddings can be expensive or how can I save for further education? And so separating those two buckets into short and long-term goals is something that I personally do. And lastly, savings and investments. So hitting that latter part of you have your savings account, that could be a high yield savings account for your emergency fund. And then you have your investments starting to think about retirement, more again, the longer term goals, because again, this generation is so upfront and focused on what's right in front of them, not necessarily what's 20, 30, 40, 50 years look like. That I think every generation when they're young is focused on what's right in front of them. But I have seen more surveys about this generation that say things very much like we were talking about at the top of the show, like I'll never be able to buy a house. I'll never be able to retire. What do you say to your followers who say that? It all starts with the money mindset. If you believe that you can't, you can't. If you believe that you can, you might. You can You can try and you can go to different places because of the opportunity that you placed yourself in your mindset. And I'm a big believer in manifestation. And going back to my roots under neurology, there's this thing called the reticular activating system in your brain. It is the science of manifestation. So what does this mean? This is super scientific for me. Can you explain this in easy terms? Okay. If you see a blue car on the road or you want a blue car, all of a sudden you start seeing blue cars everywhere. I'm like, or a particular dog that you saw on the internet one time, and now you start seeing it everywhere. You start seeing your name everywhere. This is your RAS, your reticular activating system, in motion. So if you tell yourself and you create a vision board or you put it on your the back of your phone case or you put a little sticky note on your mirror every morning that says, I can and I will save for a house, you will place yourself subconsciously in different opportunities that you didn't see before because of this RAS, this reticular activating system. And so that's the very beginning. 
The second part, personally, as far as this not being able to save up for a house, I love automation. I think being in 2023 now, automation, we can utilize in many different aspects of our lives. And finance is one of those aspects we can definitely use it. And so I like to automate any sort of savings that I have to help achieve those goals. I had not heard of the reticular activating system, and I am going to study that because I'm fascinated with the different ways that we've learned from behavioral finance and neurologists, Mm -hmm. how we can get beyond our own worst instincts. And this is a new one for me. So thank you for that, Taylor. One of the things that I've seen in my inbox over the past couple of weeks, and I think I've maybe I've manifested them because I knew that you were coming on the show, but I've gotten a number of pitches, PR pitches from people who are really throwing some shade at financial advice that's being given on TikTok and on Reels and on Twitter. And I'm wondering if you've gotten any pushback. Totally. When I first started, by the way, I have my bachelor's degree in finance, so I'm totally graduated. When I first started, I got a lot of criticism from Wall Street bros on Twitter. They were saying, who is this girl? She's 18 years old at the time. Who does she think that she can talk about investments online? Like, this is not normal. She should just be, you know, getting her MRS, which is her missus and getting married off. And I'm like, you know, I don't think so. I'm going to continue pursuing this after having the conversation with my mom, who at the time, again, the 1980s, when she was a finance major, she was the only woman really in her class. And so that was, it's still traditionally a male dominated field. But thankfully for, you know, my mom and other strong women who have been in my life, it's something that I want to proceed with taking down the torch and sharing this mission and this vision and journey with others, because at the end of the day, it's not just about the influence, it's about the impact that we can have on our future generations. And so when journalists or publicists first come to me with some of these questions, it's like, okay, well, let's talk about, I did take my four-year degree. I got the piece of paper that validates my credentials in this space, quote, quote, But here's also the information that is being provided. Here's the credentials. I've been on Good Morning America, Fox Business, Wall Street Journal. Like after a certain point in time, it's like, okay, well, if all these other top tier business publications are talking about what wonderful financial education and service that people like me or myself have had in this community, then the answers are in the research. You just have to look a little further into them. But of course, I always tell people that social media should be the ignition to this journey, not the end. And so, for example, I didn't know what a Roth IRA was until I started looking online. And I believe Graham Stephan first introduced the concept to me, which at the time, and he still is a YouTuber, but I did not just stop there. I then contacted my mom and other family members, hey, do you know what a Roth IRA is? Like, have you heard of that? What's up with that? And then going to blogs like Investopedia and things again, that also had real serious credentials to them. Hey, yeah, this is a real thing. And so making sure to do your own due diligence and not just taking somebody's exact word for it, but really putting in the homework 
the learning doesn't just stop when you're done with school. To me, it truly starts after school. And so that's what I have to say to anybody who kind of comes in the realm of questioning, you know, financial educators online. Taylor Price, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Thank you, Jean. Before we dive into our mailbag, let me just remind everyone that Her Money is grateful for the support of BCU. BCU is a credit union that helps its members take control of their money using a variety of financial tools and resources. BCU's passion is to empower people to discover financial freedom by providing caring support and services that create the value you deserve. Learn more at bcu.org. And Catherine Tuggle is joining me for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. I was just sitting here and thinking how incredible her insight was for her age. Yeah. Amazingly deep insight. Amazingly deep insight, incredibly well-researched. I mean, she told us she got her degree in finance, but I actually think she's a bit of a journalist at heart or at least a reporter at heart because of the way she follows the breadcrumbs because she's absolutely right. You know, whether we do a podcast or whether she posts a TikTok, it's a thought starter. It's a kernel. It's a jumping off point. And If you're going to put your real money into these solutions and strategies that we talk about, of course you want to do some more reading. Of course you want to do some additional homework. It shouldn't prevent you from starting. Women in particular tend to feel like we want to have all the information, the perfect answers before we even do a single thing. And that can be problematic. It can slow us down. But continuing to learn while you're doing, I think, is a really great way to approach personal finance. Yeah, it's such a great point. And this is such a problem for women. We feel like we have to have every single possible qualification before we apply for a job. We feel like we have to know every single answer to all of our questions before we start something. And that's not how men go about it. Men are much more willing to take risk and kind of fake it till they make it. So it's a really good takeaway for women. Yeah. Men are much more ready, fire, aim, right? And just coming back to her point about the Roth IRA, the whole key is to open it and automatically put some money into it every single month. And investing it doesn't have to be rocket science. You can buy the entire market. You can buy the S&P 500. You've got a diverse basket of companies whichever way you do that. And as you hold on to it and as you monitor its progress, you'll be encouraged to continue to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. You got to start somewhere. You just have to start. Yes. (laughs) I know we've got some mailbag questions, so let's dig in. Yeah. Our first question today comes to us from Lizzie. She writes, hi, Jean and Catherine. I just listened to one of your crypto episodes from last year, and I have some super basic questions. What do you buy with crypto? Is it just an investment that you use for buying other government currencies later as a trade? Or will you be able to buy real things with actual cryptocurrency in your portfolio? I feel like I'm just getting a handle on regular investing, building traditional lasting wealth. So I'm also curious if you see crypto on another level of the investing tier for people who are more experienced and have more money to risk and lose. 
So do you think crypto should be considered an essential part of a balanced, diversified portfolio for even the average investor? For context, I'm 38 and my husband is 41 and we have two small kids, age five and one. I'm feeling like I'm missing out on crypto, but I also feel like I should check some other important financial essentials boxes before I delve into this category. Thank you so much. I really love the show and all the great work y'all are doing. Lizzie, thanks so much for a great question. I've been wondering when we were going to talk about crypto again. And I think that for many people, they're feeling some relief that they didn't go into crypto, at least before this year. 2022 was a really, really ugly year for crypto. And we've seen Bitcoin in particular come back this year, which may have generated your question along with the podcast. But let me just give you sort of the answer to your direct questions. I don't think it is an essential part of a balanced diversified portfolio for the average investor. I think it is a very risky category that if you want to take a flyer with a very small portion of your portfolio, maybe one or two percent, in the hopes of making a big return somewhere down the road, crypto is something that you can think about putting your money in. I'm not sure which of our crypto podcasts you listen to. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the one with Bill Ullman, which was basically Crypto 101. It was a look at what it is and how it works. You don't buy much with crypto these days, but you may be able to buy more things with certain cryptocurrencies in the future. Right now, it's mostly an investment, but it is a very risky one. And you should take that into account before you put any big parts of your portfolio in there. And you should be covering all of your other essential bases first. Do you think that the question as to what you can buy with crypto and how you can buy it is thinking about crypto wrong? Like, is crypto something you should only think about holding on to for years and years and years for the day when and if Bitcoin goes back to $100,000, as some analysts say that it will? I think the question about what can you buy with crypto is a more global question that gets to the heart of what is this for? Let's say I was talking about art, or let's say I was talking about one of those Chanel bags that Taylor mentioned as a good investment. I know what that Chanel bag is for, right? I can put stuff in it and I can put it on my shoulder and I can carry it around, or I can keep it in its bag, in its box, and not really wear it and just hope that it appreciates in price as a collector. But I, I get the use case for it. And I think that's where she is going here. We don't know really what the use case is going to be for crypto, but we do know that there are a lot of companies that are 
looking at blockchain technology and Web3 and trying to figure out how they will use those technologies in the future. And crypto, because it trades on a particular blockchain, is a part of that universe. As an investment, Catherine, I agree with you. I think if you're putting your money into it, you should be thinking long enough term that you will give it the roadway that it needs to make you some money. Personally, I own some crypto. Since we did the the Bill Ullman podcast, I've been dollar cost averaging just a little bit of money into Bitcoin every single month. I opened a Coinbase account and that's how I'm doing it. It's automatic. I look at it every once in a while. It has come back a bit after having a very dismal 2022 I'm not going to wait for it to hit $100,000 before I sell it. If at some point I look at the account and it's looking like, wow, you've made you know, a decent sum of money, I may at that point let a part of my investment go so that I've at least covered my costs and then maybe let the other shares continue to ride. Interesting. Once again, I'm inspired to go open my own wallet and buy some because I do not own any yet. You know, I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know if it's the wrong time. Bitcoin does seem to have some sustainability. Ethereum does as well. I'm not sure right now, particularly in the wake of all the headlines about FTX and Binance, what to expect from the other currencies. Yep. I don't think anybody is right now. (laughs) Oh, good. So I feel better. Our next question today comes to us from a member of our private Harmony Facebook group. She writes, Hi, I'm hoping you can advise on the best move to make with my upcoming car purchase. I've been saving for a while and I really wanted to pay all cash, but long story short, I now need to speed up the date and make my purchase ASAP. My problem is that I still lack about $15,000 on being able to pay cash in full and walk away. So my options are, Number one, finance the 15,000 at 4.99%, which I could pay off in about a year. Or number two, take that cash out of my emergency savings and pay for the car in full. I could do this easily, but it would put my savings at a rate I'm not super comfortable with if I were to lose my job. My job feels slightly unstable, but likely fine. What would you do in my situation? Thank you so much. I'd finance the car. No, no, not even, (laughs) not even a second thought about that. I would, I would finance the car. I would pick up the phone and I would call a credit union. I'd start with BCU, our sponsor, because I know they have good rates on car loans, but BCU and other credit unions around the country are known for having the best financing deals. So I don't know where you got that 4.99 financing, but you're going to want to see if you can beat it by walking in the door with financing from a credit union. And then, yeah, if you can, and it doesn't get in the way of your other goals, like putting money in your 401k, pay it off in a year. Wipe that debt clean and don't worry about it. But if you are not maxing out, your 401k. And in particular, if you're not grabbing matching dollars or if you're not making a full contribution to a Roth IRA or whatever you are 
doing to fund your retirement, then I also wouldn't hesitate to pay it off a little bit more slowly so that I could accomplish those other financial goals. But I wouldn't take the cash out of your emergency savings account because we all know emergencies happen often and we cannot predict them and you can't get that money back from a car. So if you needed it in an emergency, you'd likely have to put it on a credit card, and that would cost a lot more than 4.99%. Exactly. Very well said, Jean. Thank you so much. Thanks, Catherine. In today's Thrive, we talk a lot about investing your money into your career and into the markets on this show, but it's also important to invest in your mental and physical health. After all, money is a tool for living a happy life, and you can't do that if you don't take care of your body. That's why at hermoney.com, we spoke to some doctors about the small everyday steps you can take to make a real difference in your health. Let me share just a few of them with you now. Number one, make some time for mindfulness. No matter how old you are or how much is on your plate, we all experience stress and it's important to be able to manage it. If you're not into hour-long meditations, don't worry. Doing a 10-minute session in the middle of a workday or even just remembering to take a few deep breaths in, out, before jumping into your to-do list can lower your heart rate and keep you calm and focused. Next, make preventative healthcare a priority. Many costly medical problems like heart disease can be avoided through a healthy diet and exercise. You'll also wanna keep up with your doctor's appointments. Don't skip that annual physical. Most of the time it's covered by insurance so you don't have to worry about a substantial bill. And if something doesn't feel right with your body, call your doctor ASAP. Next, consider opening a health savings account or an HSA, which can help you prepare for future medical expenses. HSAs have a triple tax advantage. The money you put in goes in with a tax deduction, withdrawals are tax-free, and the earnings that you get from investing through your HSA are also tax-free. It's a win-win-win. Last but not least, plan ahead for all the stages of your life, including old age. People are living longer, and there is a growing body of research that shows more and more people are likely to live to 90, 95, even 100. If you are still of working age, set aside some time to figure out when you want to retire, how much money you'll need to save for future medical expenses, and who you want to help manage your finances if you can no longer do it yourself. Planning ahead won't just help your future self, it'll save you significant stress right now so that you can stay happy and healthy all the way on the road to retirement. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Taylor Price for telling us all about Gen Z and how they can succeed financially. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.